From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 136 of the Killing It podcast. Thank you guys for being lined up on that. I really appreciate it. It adds great quality to the show. Absolutely. <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are polished on the important parts. That's post-production, baby. Post-production. <laughs> so, and, and I can't let this go without mentioning something, but you know, Dave has bugged us now for a week that this show is being recorded two-thirds in Hawaii and one-third in I guess Hawaii. who's the one-third? <laughs> That's all I'm going to say on that, because I'm going to, in fact, ask a more fun question. Gents, oh. what's your favorite day of the week? That's a really good question, because honestly, uh, I mean, we're, we default to it's a weekend day, but I'm thinking that it's got to be Saturday because Fridays, you know, that's the leading into the weekend. Friday evening is great, but Fridays are always when people finally get back to you on emails that they're trying to clean out before they take the weekend. I find my Fridays are busier than any other day of the week. So I vote for Saturday. I'll go with, <laughs> I'm going to go with Friday actually, because uh, I do actually block it from external meetings. I don't take any external meetings. And if I'm on my game, I can barely work. Uh, that's the if I'm on my game, which actually can be like an incredibly rewarding experience to like be on your game for the week and then hit Friday and go, it's a three-day weekend because I made it one. <laughs> Professional style. So for me, I would say my favorite day is Saturday because, you know, I have rheumatoid arthritis. So my energy level through the week starts high on Monday and it's sort of gradually goes downhill until, you know, Friday at five, I'm burned out, right? Like uh, poor Dylan has, uh, you know, internal calls with me on Friday afternoon and I'm yawning the whole time, right? So uh, Friday night, I, I hide from the world, sleep in, and I'm fresh and ready to start over on Saturday. <laughs> See, now, if you, were, if you were the type who just rested and relaxed on the weekend, you would have tons of energy, but that's not what weekends are for. Weekends are for using the energy that you have saved up for reasons that are much more entertaining than another Zoom call. While we're talking about time, did you know that the average MSP spends 10 hours manually inputting account data each week? That time is 120 prospect calls, a month's worth of the business of tech, or building an entire Lego Death Star. Gazinta Mobius can make your life easier through accounting automation. Automatic sync of invoices, expenses, and inventory from ConnectWise Manage into QuickBooks Online in just a single click of a button. With onboarding, direct support, and regular feature releases, Gazinta is a family-owned company dedicated to making software suck a little less each day. Visit them at gazinta.com. That's G-O-Z-Y-N-T-A.com. And software should not suck. They need a, like a slogan, like a T-shirt or something that says that. So our first topic today is that trolls, it turns out, are born and not made. Uh, you know, there's kind of this discussion, does Facebook create trolls? Does Reddit create trolls? You know, in our industry, trolls have literally been around since day one. You know, as soon as people decided, hey, we can figure out how to have news groups and messaging tools, 
um, even before we had uh, the visual web, we had trolls. <laughs> we, we had flame wars, and so, so none of that is new. But the vastness of it that is so abusive and causes people to have mental disorders is a kind of a new vision of what being a troll is. So we're going to point to an article that basically did some research and says, look, it turns out this has to do with, first of all, men are overwhelmingly, trolls are men, so that's a piece of it, but also two other factors, people who are psychopaths, which is characterized by callousness, deceitfulness, and a lack of personal responsibility, and sadism, which is characterized by the enjoyment of physically or, or psychologically harming someone else. Psych so psychopathy, sadism, and being male are the factors that contribute to this. And so uh, that would lead us to believe that Facebook and Reddit and so forth are not creating trolls, they are merely enabling them. So then the question is, what do we do with that knowledge? So, the, so I'm going to try two tacks on this. The first I'm going to address is the micro address on this. There is a reason why the, the quip is don't feed the trolls. Um, because uh, in, a, in, in a way, if you think about it from this perspective, from a very sympathetic perspective, uh, if this is their natural inclination and the way they are, they are you know, born versus made, uh, feeding that and encouraging that is not good from a mental health perspective. And it is oftentimes easier to be kind than it is to be cruel in these situations. And so thus feeding the trolls does, does not help them. Now, the, the second bit is on a macro level. Um, I, I mean, this is, for me, it's just like one more tick of the tick box of like, we need to stop providing weapons of mass destruction to, to these groups that, that are amplifying bad behavior. It's one thing to have a bad behavior that is localized to someone as a person. It is a whole other thing to give them the capability to amplify that to hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people or millions of people through something that they may not even be able to stop about themselves. That, that is irresponsible of us as society to give them these weapons. Well, see, and, and it's important to note, again, the article that we're linking to in the show notes is very much worth a read because they, they spend a little bit of time defining not just what is it, but what's the difference between trolling and bullying. And I think that's a very important distinction because the research shows very clearly that low self-esteem is a predictor for bullying. I don't like myself, therefore I'm going to make other people feel bad, but high self-esteem is actually correlated to trolling. In other words, I am cool, I am popular, and therefore I'm going to use that as a weapon against other people. Uh, I don't believe, as the research indicated, that Reddit or Facebook created a troll, but it enabled them, it empowered them with a much broader reach. It's almost like that old saying, right? Uh, money doesn't make you an asshole. It just takes away the inhibitions that might have prevented you from showing your true character, right? When people say, oh, he got money and he became callous or he became selfish or he, he became disrespectful. Oh, no, no, he was already that way. It's just that money took away the consequence of that. Well, in the very same way, Reddit and Facebook, they didn't make you a troll, but all those likes and all that upvoting and all of that reinforcement, it just made you go, sweet, people like it, I'm going to do it again. And I never heard that old saying, but the, uh, there's the, another component, which is if Facebook sees it and they say, wow, 
these people come in, they troll right like crazy, and then they buy ads, and they've got this formula that ends up putting billions of dollars in our back pocket. Are they able to stop it? Are they doing anything? Are they doing enough to actually make it go away or to uh, remove the, the problems? And I think that's a legit thing. Like, okay, you didn't create the troll, but you also enabled it beyond merely giving them a platform. You sort of got out of the way and let it happen because lots of money is flowing in. And I think there's a serious issue. I continue to wonder if, like, you know, and and this is one of those wonder, and maybe there are smarter people out there than me thinking about this. But I feel like there needs needs to be a way to make money on the other incentives. Like, I get how easy it is to, like, make money off rage. I feel like there needs to be more. Somebody smart needs to work on figuring out how to make money off of kindness or how to make money in in, in a in a, where where that where those positive things are encouraged and rewarded and creates collaboration and maybe it can happen at scale but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's a unprofitable business well maybe somebody smarter than me will figure it out well, no, but, but you're right, because if you believe what we've been reading among the uh, consortium of 18 different media outlets with all the Facebook papers and all of the hand-wringing and whatnot, this this is not a flaw in the system. It is a feature of the business model. It is not an accident that they need to control. It is the behavior that they are amplifying. They're doing it on purpose to make as much money as they possibly can. If you could design that business model, you could design another one, right? All business models are voluntary. (laughs) And so if you chose this one, I get it. I understand. But you can't tell me, oh, there are no other business models. Of course there are. You just haven't monetized them yet. And once you start to monetize them, people recognize the reinforcement and they will do what they get rewarded for. So it's a personal choice. And I mean, that's my ultimate takeaway from all the Facebook exposés and all the Senate testimony and all that stuff. The answer is it's happening for a reason. The reason is voluntary. They know it. And to answer your question, Dave, no, they're not doing anything to control it because that would limit their present business model. So, of course, I will say last note on this and then we'll go to another topic. But there is a lot of niceness and goodness and joy and love and trying to spread things around. But it tends to be. Uh, more like on YouTube, where people are sharing their music, they're sharing their art, they're sharing uh, cat videos, for God's oh, sake. Oh, the dark so, side of YouTube is a whole other topic, to- uh, Carl. But on that, I'm going to pivot us to one topic that I know you'll love a lot, which is asynchronous work. So we're linking to a protocol article about the asynchronous work revolution, and it's here, and here's how to join. And the idea is focusing on deep work and getting rid of meetings and building a culture of uh, organization where where you are not requiring everyone to collaborate in real time, but instead designing a system that is much more focused around work. Uh, This isn't to say this is easy, uh, but I thought I'd kick, Carl, you probably should kick off a little bit of your thinking on this because you've spent a bunch of time thinking about this problem before, and I'd love to hear your take on this article. Well, thank you. So I love asynchronous work. I think it is the, the single defining factor in being successful with a ticketing system, right? Which is central to what a lot of our listeners use. Um, and it allows me to like put up my notes, put up my documentation for you to access this, for us to, to work together and collaborate in a way that just 
doesn't exist without certain kinds of tools. And now the number of tools we have, Teams and so forth, has exploded in the last five years. And the other thing you have to remember, though, is you have to build a team that is built on these tools, and you have to hire people who are good at this. Some people suck at this. And you just have to acknowledge that, that, that this asynchronous system, part of what's happened in the pandemic is we've realized that there are people who are good at this, who take a job, you know, run with it, do a great job, report back. They contribute to the culture while they're doing that. And there's other people who go, you know, close their, their bedroom door and isolate themselves completely. And, and my guess is they're not having success with asynchronous work. Well, and to your point, Dave, uh, all of this remote work, all of this disruption that we've had by having people out of the office has made this a very much more popular conversation. But I agree with Carl. It, it It's not new, and it's been very well established that people are much more effective when they are not continuously interrupted, right? Um, there's, there's very compelling research that documents that humans do not actually possess the mental capacity to actually multitask, right? You say it, I say it. We all go, oh, we, well, I can do many things at one time. No, you can't. All you're doing is paying attention to one thing for a shorter period of time and then rapidly switching. If there is such a thing as a skill for multitasking, it's actually a skill for rapidly shifting focus among things because you just simply can't do more than one thing at once. That's not how human brains work. But it's also not a new conversation that interruptions make you less productive at the thing you were trying to do. Uh, I'm thinking, I, I haven't counted, but it, it's more than, what, 30-odd years ago that Stephen Covey first published the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the underpinnings of his research in that whole process was that you have to distinguish between what is urgent and what is important, right? You draw a little four-box matrix, and it's amazing how much more time people spend on things that are urgent but not important because they're easy, but they're just ping, ping, ping. I can spend an entire day responding to yet one more ping in any one of these synchronous systems. That doesn't mean I actually got anything good or valuable done. But I will tell you, every time we pick up a new client, every time we start working with people, there is a, there's a process of synchronizing how you work and the cadence of communication because there are very many people evidently whose default is, I'm just going to ping you right now and then you'll answer me in 30 seconds and then we'll move on. You know what? My day is not set up like that. My day is set up like this is a half an hour. This is an hour. This is a half an hour. And I use a system called time boxing. And it, again, do a Google on that. It's very well established. But you set aside time for specific activities and you let your brain focus and invest in that. And when people ping, 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 they get very frustrated with me. And they're like, I, you're, you're not getting back to me right away. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> and allow me to coach you on why, because this is a more it's, effective way. It's very funny that you bring that because so, so I'll make mine a very practical bit. So ye years ago at this point, easy five to six years ago, uh, I turned off all the notifications on my phone, like just, just all the notifications. Yeah, I just have them all, I'll have them all off. Uh, and I just got back from an event, right? And I was working with, with somebody and, and uh, the, one of the onsite people who, who was fantastic, by the way, I loved working with them, um, but texted me, texted me some information, right? And, and when I ended up seeing her later, she was like, well, you ghosted me. You, 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 you didn't respond. I'm like, yeah, I don't have any notifications on. Like, like I, 
I hadn't like I was with I was standing working with people like I was engaged in the activity that I was in uh, and and my my phone I have my phone for my convenience not for other people's convenience exactly. it is it is a device I use to to make my life better not a device that allows other people to use my time and, and I and I I call after I, I said there is one person who notification is on and that's my wife <laughs> because because she knows she knows she can interrupt my time because and she knows how that's used um and so and so and doesn't right <laughs> it's and so and it was very you're exactly right it was a training exercise in thinking that way and also working with people to know like no there is i have a like i have lots of processes for you need my t you need my attention and time i have several processes for that to get it scheduled and booked and prioritized and on, on my radar like it's very easy to do I'll call that, you know, for people that quibble with me, that's my e-commerce play, right? Is the ability to get me when you need me is an offering, but it isn't, it is also within the bounds that I have set up for the way that I work. And I would encourage people to not ever think about asynchronous work as a tool you use in isolation. You do have to have a culture. Yep. You have to build processes and procedures to make it work. You have to have an agile mindset. You you know, it, it's literally my brother likes to point out the difference between you know setting up appointments fifteen minutes apart like dominoes, and then at eight fifteen, eight sixteen, uh, you're off for the rest of the day, right? Versus having what what we've always done in my companies is we work from highest to lowest priority, and so I often will miss scheduled appointments simply because I'm doing something that's higher priority. <laughs> Right. And it's it's fundamentally why I haven't answered my phone in like 12 years is that the probability that if my phone rings right now, that it's the highest value thing that I can do for my company or my personal life is essentially zero. And so why have the phone on? Why have you know, and, and actually, Dave, to your point, uh, I was just at a conference and I literally pointed and I said, I don't know whose screen that is, but you watch in the lower hand corner of the screen at some point during the next hour, something will pop up there and it will be somebody telling this guy, oh, you know, you need to get your reports in or whatever. People don't even turn off these pop-ups during conferences and you've seen them, right? Yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. And then you get in the habit of ignoring them. So you have to hire appropriately. And the other thing is with all of this explosion of remote uh, work, the asynchronous communications allows you to have one person in Europe and one person in the US and one person in Asia, and they all work very well together if they have the right processes for asynchronous communication. See, and right there, that's the magic. It, because you are remote or in the office is not the defining factor about whether you are efficient. It's whether you have a defined process and people actually follow it. Too many notifications always creates fatigue and people learn the habit of just ignoring the notifications. That's true in a PSA world. It's true in a cybersecurity world. It's true in any interpersonal communication. Too many notices equals less attention, not more attention. But if you define it properly, and, and again, this is a business opportunity for people in the technology industry. You ought to be not only giving people the technology tools to be connected on-prem and remotely, but you should be teaching them the workflow and actually getting paid to define or optimize business processes that can be truly remote and even asynchronous. 
it's not a given that just because you've got Teams and Zoom and Slack and, 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 that you're actually good at using any of those things to run your business effectively. Don't assume that people are going to be good at it. Get paid to teach them to well, be good at working from any. Especially because they will default to, to regular behaviors with the same old tools. You have to actually exactly. understand how the tools can be used in very creative different ways. I mean, I'm a big fan of video email, for example. Like, I will send someone a note sometime where it's like, I want to give them the personal touch. I need to say something versus, like, that you would go, oh, a meeting's the way to do it. Or a video email will do just as nicely that I can send some some information to them and then they'll get back to me when it's appropriate to get back to me. And then I will respond to them and it can be a much slower conversation, but still incredibly effective. Right. And, you know, one of the final points I'd say is that we often have this sense that we must respond immediately, right? To, to Ryan's point, we think like, oh, you called me, I must respond, right? Not necessarily. Sometimes the call is, hey, I need you to put this on your radar uh, for July, right? And, and that's okay, too. But people need to know when something needs a fast response, a slow response, a scheduled response, whatever. That's oddly enough is not a good, strong piece of the training that most people get in the customer service world. Yeah, you are 100% correct, right? You can teach these people how to do it, and we can all learn. Okay, let's go to our third topic. Uh, this one, uh, if, if we don't learn to do our jobs a little bit more effectively, the robots are coming. Uh, this is actually an article that we're linking to uh, a practical application, real world deployment of robots in restaurants, providing services and performing tasks that have historically always been done by humans. Now, Dave and I grew up in uh, fast serve, uh, fast food restaurants. Uh, you you got to serve your time over there, right? Learn how to do these jobs. Well, many of the tasks that we used to perform are now reasonably capably performed by robots that are highlighted in this article. This particular situation, I think, is interesting, but it obviously it speaks to the broader topic of what can the machines do and what is not doable by a machine and has to be reserved for human work. I think that the most important part of this article is that when you take the menial tasks and the physical run back and forth off of your servers and you allow a machine to do that, the consequence is servers have more time to talk to the human customers to schmooze them. And not only does that lead to higher customer satisfaction and higher average ticket prices because, hey, I like it here. I'm going to stick around. I'm going to buy more stuff. But it actually also produces higher tips. Now, tips are voluntary. And if customers voluntarily respond by giving you more money because you treated them better, um, ding, ding, ding. I'm thinking that's a good thing for your business. So however you can go there. Guys, what do you think about not only this particular application of robots in the working world, but the broader topic of are they actually coming for our jobs? Well, so no, they're not coming for our jobs, but this is an incredibly useful application. And let me let me say, because I've been covering so much stuff recently on the rate great resignation, but more importantly, rising employee wages. Uh, I just covered for, on on the a recent pod just talking about how uh, salaries are universally up. No business has cut salaries. Uh, and they are expecting to have to continue to raise salaries over the next six months, uh, if not more aggressively, to keep people. 
To exactly your point there, Ryan, this is a way to utilize people more effectively and generate more revenue, which you probably now need to do in order to pay your people. If you're not looking at the, the fact that your cost of labor is now directly going up and thinking of ways to utilize, and by the way, keep them, because the, it is the most one of the most expensive things you can do is lose somebody and have to replace them. So you're going to need to invest in the people you've got to pay them more to keep them, in some cases, for the same job. So how do you get more revenue per you know worker unit? Well, one may be is, is we're going to take this portion of their job, automate it, and empower them to be better salespeople, better customer service, to drive that tip. I can make a pretty solid argument because, by the way, cities like New York are doing it, that you roll that into an actual service charge and just raise the prices on the food, remove tipping, and everybody does better is proving to work. So you could it's not a tipping culture necessarily that we're doing. Is we're saying customers will pay more for better service. Well, and the interesting thing is that the, the, the whole crisis, I guess, that we're in right now has just made the inevitable a little bit quicker. Uh, I recently had an experience. I have a group that I go hang out with on weekend, and we went uh, on last Saturday and did a thing in Folsom, California. We all went out afterwards for dinner and waited like 40 minutes for a table because they literally shut down the kitchen for half an hour so they could catch up because they didn't have enough employees. Then the next day on Sunday, we went to another restaurant and it was a super good experience and we, we knew we would have to wait before we got there. We got seated and waited an hour before they took our order. And we were cool with it because we knew what we were getting into. But again, it was like a critical shortage of servers. So it's good that this is happening now. The other thing that's interesting that I think a lot of people aren't really focusing on, we are going to see more and more of a discussion about robots in our environment interacting with us, which is very different than like the dishwasher, to be honest, is a robot that takes away the job of a human dishwasher, but it's over there you, you load it and then you close it and you get the hell away because you don't want it to hurt you, right? And the robots that build cars and so forth are separated from human beings so they because they don't know that human beings exist. These new robots know that people exist, will weave through the crowd and provide better service. It is really a different kind of, of service that I think it will very quickly take on. And there will be like almost no resistance from people who say that they're taking away our jobs. Oh, they're not taking away my job and they're not taking away anybody else's job. <laughs> they're taking away jobs from people who don't want to do those jobs. So it's really it's a it's a new day and it's uh, I'm, I'm very happy to have it here. Absolutely. And see, I will I will point back to what I believe is going on here. It's not a question of a labor shortage. It's a question of leverage in a competitive negotiation. Right. Uh, there are roughly speaking, almost identically the same number of humans in America today as there were two years ago, minus 700,000 or so, right? Um, we, we know that there are just as many workers out there. And when people say there's not enough workers, no, there's just not enough workers that will agree to take your job for the terms and conditions that you are offering to them. It is 
absolutely not accurate to say that you cannot find a worker. It is accurate to say you need to compete harder. You need to give them better money, conditions, respect, experience, etc. Money's not nearly the only thing that, that people evaluate in whether they choose to take your job or keep your job, right? Uh, this is just a shift in competition and leverage. For decades, the leverage has been on the side of the employer, and there have been more of us that need, that that had control over that transaction with people than there were of them. And people were told, you're lucky to have a job. Just remember, you could lose this job tomorrow, and I could find somebody who would take your spot. Well, that's just marginally less true. Not, not, not entirely less true, but it's just a little bit less true today than it has been. And business owners are freaking out like, you can't find people. Yes, you can. And people get hired and jobs are filled literally every single day by companies that are trying harder. Now, I'm not saying pay people more there that will solve your problem. I'm saying exactly what Dave is saying here. You need to think more creatively to learn how to compete in this modern environment. More people time, more soft skills, more human focus reinforced by capacity issues that machines can give. And I would be remiss if I didn't jump in and go, loyalty is two-way. Like if you are expecting loyalty from your employees – you had better actually be delivering loyalty to them. And that's hard. Like, and, and I'm not, I'm not like, and by the way, if your statement is, well, you, you know, we could just let you go. And well, that's not any level of loyalty. So why would you expect them to be loyal to you when the message you've been saying is, is well, this job could go away at any given moment. Or we could just take like, like, no, that's not loyalty. You've got to stick with them and make it a situation where you have invested in them too. And you know, it's back to that old adage of, you know, well, what happens if they all stay? Well, what happens if they all quit? <laughs> well, and, and now we're finding out what happens if they all quit, right? That's, that's exactly what's going on. You know, I just recently, uh, uh, sorry, Dave, but I just recently on the trip to Hawaii uh, met somebody. <laughs> I, I, I sat next to somebody who has four jobs, very young uh, person and I was like four jobs holy smokes and she said well I get up at 4 30 because I have clients who are in the east coast time zone and uh she does online sales for them and I said why do you have that job and she says because I don't know anything about sales and it's training me that and they're helping me develop skills and I was like do you have a 401k or insurance or anything? And she's like, no, I don't need that from this job because I have this other job, right, where she's working with this outrigger company and she's learning different set of skills. And then she owns one of those bikes where 12 people get on and pedal around and it plays music and they get drunk and whatever. And so she owns that company, right? And, and she's got all these jobs. And I was like, okay, so thankfully I am, I am you know, in, reinvigorated that young people are not lazy and in fact there's always going to some be somebody who's got four jobs and is going to make it happen but it's also clear they don't go to one employer and say i need the 401k and the insurance and this and that right they get the things they need some of which are skills or soft services that we didn't think about 15 years ago and and so the the whole nature of it is changing and it's just like anything else we all have to change with it. And thank goodness the robots are finally here. Doesn't solve our bet.
Well, sadly, we are out of time because these two numb nuts get to go to the beach. We <laughs> <laughs> need to go to the beach. Let's be clear. So I have to give a little bit of a sling because I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I can no, hear the ocean from here, Dave. As Dave enjoys the beautiful fall in Virginia, that will do it for episode 136 of the Killing It. Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.